You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas. And on tonight's program, we bring you an interview with Nina Serrano with indigenous musician Gerardo Marin, discussing his work with young people and people in jails. David de la Gran, graduate of KPFA's apprenticeship program, brings us an interview with Pancho Ramos Dirle, talking about his 95-day journey from NorCal to the Mexico border in response to the separation of families by the current administration. Julieta Kuznir talks with Lucho Ramirez, director of the San Francisco Film Festival, and what films you can expect to see. All this and much more, stay tuned. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I recorded this interview on Valentine's Day of 2018, but didn't get to edit it until now. As the world turns so quickly, things changed, but not my guest, Gerardo Marin's great spiritual and musical gifts, which we happily offer you today. It's a pleasure to have in the studio today, Gerardo Marin. He's been a frequent guest over the years, bringing us these wonderful indigenous instruments that he plays and telling about the interesting work that he does with young people and with people in prisons and jails. Bienvenido. Muchas gracias, Nina. Estoy muy contento de estar aquí con usted. Well, it's been many years. You were almost a boy when we started. But you've definitely grown into your manhood and your work has been just incredible. The work that you've done with Xochipilli, the men's circle that you work with. Tell us about that. Thank you, Nina. You know, we're actually celebrating 25 years of the, of the founding of wow. our Chicano Circulo de Hombres, Xochipilli. Our founder, Rafael Jesus Gonzalez, my adopted grandpa, our tata. And with the council, mostly elders, activists, healers, rabble-rousers, and there's a few of us youngsters too that have been in training, but I'm completing my seventh year as a member, and it's been a tremendous community to support my growth, my transformation, and to mentor a lot of the other Chicano, Latino, Latinx youth that we work with, bringing ritual, bringing music, bringing that traditional power to everything we do from our activism, actions, protests in the schools, presentations for family groups, so tell us something about the work that you do, for example, in the jails or with the young people at Juvie. Yeah, well, it can look different degree of ways. I work in a couple alternative schools for the most part with young people that are considered the more difficult to, to engage. We see them as young people with promise who um, have suffered a lot of trauma, which is mostly induced trickle down from the state violence and colonialism, who maybe have a hard time and maybe staying engaged or aren't really that interested in some of today's pretty boring public schooling. So um, we do culturally rooted programming. We do uh, music, movement, martial arts, meditation, some theater-based exercises to help us really drop into our body, to release tension and stress, but also bring in some more cultura, some more, some more joy, some more fun into their sometimes monotonous school days. Same thing for in the juvenile hall detention centers that I work in. 
for the most part, I'm able to bring in a music altar as well. There I'll come in for a wellness element or a fitness element. Or there's been some violence, so they, they call me in to kind of chill things out or get the boys to relax so there won't be that much infighting. But I get feedback from the boys that says that when they say, oh yeah, we've relaxed a little bit, but we're waking up. You know, we're tuning in. So I'm really encouraged by that work because as they are waking up and they're sharing their insights, the things they're feeling and seeing, I'm learning a lot. They're really affirming a lot for me. I see you holding a rock. What What is the meaning of this rock? What were you getting from that rock? You know, my father has always kind of made jokes about me because I've always picked, played with dirt, picked up rocks, and I've always found, you know, beautiful shapes, you know, Mother Earth's offerings. And lately I've gotten into working with different stones and just enjoying their beauty for the first, for the, for the first part. And then I have friends that are really into them and they know a lot more about the energetic properties. So I carry them around me every once in a while. One, I just pick it up and it's just a reminder to practice gratitude. So I'll feel it and my mind kind of remind myself of some of the things I'm grateful for that day. Um, my mom taught me that the more we do that, the more we become a magnet for more of that good stuff, love, connection, blessings. And um, it'll be a talking piece at times with, you know, young people I'm working with, or I'll pass it around. I'll put it down on the altar with other like cool crystals. And there may be times where one of us is just having a hard day and we may just pick up the right crystal. It looks like just some chunky rock, but it'll kind of like have some effect on us. It may be placebo, but it works on me so far. I see. Well, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. So how did you get into the music and how did you get into the indigenous cultures? Cool you ask. I was just sharing about that. Well, I've always had music in my family. Boleros, love music, heartbreak music. My grandpa had a band. My mom at 10 years old was playing accordion in Juarez and Chihuahua on the frontera. And I remember late night parties at home when they'd all be singing and sacaban las guitarras y cantaban con tanta pasión. So I, I always remember kind of having a sense of like, like pride, like my family, they're a bunch of they're singers, you know. But somehow I became a jock in high school and, and my dad kind of looked down upon the arts and some of our indigenous cultural practices. So I kind of like put it on hold for a little bit, some of that interest. Um, and it wasn't until actually after college that my mother was going through some health struggles. I had studied in Colorado, I had just moved out to California, and I started to have these like daydream kind of visions, and then once I had a dream that I was playing a long wooden Native American flute for my mother while she was in the hospital healing from a, a recent operation that she, that she had, and it went well. And I actually went through a process of doubt, like, wait a minute, but that's for the Northern Native Americans, and I'm not Native enough, and I kind of had to go through that process with myself, but then, at the same time, I, I would continue to kind of get visions and feel this encouragement and I'd be on the internet and I'd see pop-ups of like Native American flutes, all these different signs. So I finally thought, well, I hope it isn't disrespectful, but I'm going to try to raise money and see if I can buy some used flute. And so I did and I just enjoyed playing it. And I finally got to go down, not trained, just kind of freestyling, and I got to play for my mother in the hospital. Um, and she said it really soothed her. So that encouraged me to start to study more music. And just like I was praying and invoking to the universe that I'd have a, you know, a mentor like my, like Tata Rafael, I also uh, connected with a brother of mine, who uh, Ernesto Olmos, who, who's Zapotec Mixteco, 
who's a, a maker of instruments and a teacher. And he became my best bud, my big brother, and I became his sidekick and would carry his bags around and play a simple drum beat for him while he played flute. And I just started to pick it up through osmosis and noticed that it was helping me and just kind of relaxing, finding peace. But I'm also really into like hip hop and reggae. So I found myself freestyling and doing things on the flute that's kind of percussive, like drums and stuff. And people would hear it and they started to invite me to places to come play as if I was like some flute player. Um, so I've, it's been a process of me just stepping into, I play for fun, I play for joy, I play to bring that energy to certain spaces, and I've played for a lot of people like my mother that have been in, in strife, in grief, in healing, um, and now I've woven it into most of the work I do. I give a little light massage to people and guide them in some breathing practices, you know, to work with some stuff. And then when they lay on their back, on my new first massage table I just got, I'll play different instruments for them. And everyone reports to go on a sweet little dream journey and they come back feeling refreshed and rested. Like I said, I work mainly with like activists and leaders who I really admire and I want to support giving them a boost. And I've also worked with a couple women leaders too that are single mothers that maybe haven't gotten much energy work or don't really like being touched, but they want me to play some music for them and maybe their little baby girl. And so I'm honored and I'm having a good time with it. And I'm also encouraged to, to kind of to study a little bit deeper um, as I've learned that my grandma's uh, line from Zacatecas also we were playing uh, carrizo flutes, um, like the reed, reed flutes and clay flutes. So uh, I have a Zapotec brother who also makes flutes and he's made me a few that are, he says, as, as close as you can get to some of those Zacatecano flutes and the Coahuilteca flutes. Let's hear some of these flutes. All right. Where are they? Right here. powerful. Healing instrument of our ancestors, of all of Anahuac, Semanahuac. You can find them on gaze down to Nicanahuac. I saw some northern, like in southern Oregon. I mean, so many different places. And just the ingenuity of our ancestors to make instruments out of mother's offerings. So this is the hiote, which is the, the, the stem. El tubo para la flor, the flower of the beautiful maguey that also represents so much, especially in the, the women's uh, 
dance, traditional dance movements in Mexico, and it's just hollowed out. I grew maguey in my backyard in San Francisco, but it never flowered. Oh. I never had a flower. Mm. Does it just flower like over, once every something years? Or It might. I heard that to get them, I think it's like seven years is one cycle for some of the varieties, if they're in the right sun as well. Sometimes they'll stay kind of just low to the ground and focus more on their strong roots. Mm -hmm. Well, it's powerful, powerful. What is this instrument? So this is another flute made by a big brother of mine, Nash Tevara, who was telling me that some of our instruments are very similar to some of the Zacatecano flutes. Um, this is made out of actually an oak wood, and it's two chambers. It's a little bit lower of a, uh, of a tone, which you had requested. So with the two different chambers, they also say it kind of just helps the hemispheres of, of the mind sync up. I have friends that are really into the whole science, and they've shown me diagrams, and I think that's cool. I feel like we can kind of experience it for ourselves. does put you in a trance state. You know, I can feel my hands, the tingling, you know, when you can do this and, yeah. and feel that's, and that was just with my hands mm. hanging at my side. Mm. And I think it's from the sound vibrations. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow, wonderful. Mm. So thank you so much for sharing this beautiful, beautiful stuff. Mm -hmm. Another, and thanks to our ancestors who had to hide it for a long time and keep it underground for a long time and be very, very stealth and smooth about making sure that the traditions would rise again. It's really special to recognize that we're all indigenous to Mother Earth and we all have our special instruments and medicines and gifts that they can all complement 
one another. So I feel like we're in that era. We're all encouraging each other again to, to practice, to train, and to play more. Thank you so much, Gerardo Marín. Mm, gracias a ti, Nina. Gracias a la familia de Crónicas de la Raza. Oh, gracias. Un placer. Noches Radio Landia, this is David de la Gran, and you are listening to La Raza Chronicles, KPFA in Berkeley, also known as Wichin, Ohlone People's Territory. Now, many people are asking, what can we do when it comes to the injustices that face us from every angle? And to address this, we want to share the story and the interview involving a dear brother, Pancho Ramos Tirle. Pancho is a former student of astrophysics at Berkeley. He's also an undocumented and unafraid person who, when confronted with police and police brutality, has responded always with fearless love and time after time has been proven to be resilient in affecting the hearts and minds of those who meet him. He talks the talk and he walks the walk and with no better evidence than this, than a 95-day journey that he took from North California to the man-made border with Mexico. And this was in response to the news of the separation of families at these concentration camps, at these detention centers. Taking with him a few allies, as well as tobacco from the Ohlone sisters Corina and Jonella, carrying also a giant blue flag with the image of our Mother Earth on it, representing one Earth family, and that no human being is illegal. When we spoke to him, he had just recently been released from the detention center at San Isidro, and he gives us a first-hand account of the journey, the people that he met along the journey, and the conditions within the camp. The interview is conducted in both Spanish and English, but no translations are going to be given. I start the interview here with Pancho asking him how privilege plays a role as he took those first steps towards action. Orale. Aquí estamos en comunicación con Pancho Ramos Tirle. Un placer siempre estar aquí contigo, hermano, desde, desde aquí del de norte de California hasta donde estás tú. Pancho, este, so, you know, as, as men, as males, digamos, uh, we you know, understand that tenemos un privilegio 
you know, y, pero también hay otros privilegios que, que tenemos, pues el color de nuestra piel, claro. you know, y todo eso. Pues um, me, te, te quería preguntar tú en, en tu vida, en tu, en tu caminata y todo eso, can you, how do you speak on, how do you speak on, you know, working out privilege in, in mm. the help for other people? Well, I, I knew since day one that I, I'm really certainly in a very privileged position that, first of all, I, I don't have biological kids. I say, well, you have children? Yeah, I have 3.5 billion children, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that I'm interacting with them 24-7 as many parents do. And it was very sweet, actually, to connect with a bunch of babies and kids along the journey. It was beautiful. and But understanding that, you know, I, I don't have, say, a uh, responsibility as a householder to bring financial currency, you know, income, economical income, and, and be there for for a kid. You know, I know that will be a parent. It will be very different for me. I know that I'm in a position that many of the migrants and undocumented human beings that we're, you know, 22 million human beings that are in the part of the planet called the U.S. right there. So I knew that I was doing this work also in part with them and say that, yeah, we need to feel really, really proud of who we are because without this work, nothing can work real here, really. And so for me, that privilege was like, well, I, I could work for you and say that every time that I can to, and when it's skillful to really ring loud that, you know, we are undocumented and unafraid and that we need to feel proud. And, and many times when I got into contact with, for example, I have these... Um, This example with a, um, un, un viejito que estaba con su, con su esposa. Eh, esto fue al sur de, que pasamos South Central LA y, y veníamos caminando. Ahí, por ejemplo, éramos seis personas. Venía Angela O ahí caminando con nosotros. Una, um, an, an elder, she's incredible. And she decided to walk for a couple of days with us. So we walk in there, and este viejito preguntó con su esposa. De hecho, él no dijo nada. Su esposa fue, ¿y esto qué están haciendo ustedes, no? Y el, el viejito estaba con su bastón y estaban ahí paseando los perritos, los perros. Pues ya le explicamos, ¿no? Pues jefe, están caminando desde Oakland, vamos a San Diego y Tijuana por una sola familia de la tierra. Hacemos que todos somos ciudadanos y ciudadanos del mundo, que no hay seres humanos ilegales. Y además lo estamos haciendo, ¿no? Yo, orgullosamente, sin documentos y sin miedo. Y, y veías cómo les brillaban ¿no? los ojos y... Bueno, pues que Dios los bendiga. Pues gracias, jefa, que tenga bonito, bonita tarde. Ya nos fuimos, esto era como las seis de la tarde, yo creo. Cruzamos la calle y vamos a la mitad de la otra cuadra. Y dice, un momento, un momento, y volteamos. Y es el viejito con su bastón corriendo, cruzándose la calle. Y llega corriendo y con lágrimas en los ojos. Me dice, venga, para que se compren un agua y me da un billete de cinco dólares. Mm. Y estamos ahí pasmados todos, todos con y todas con lágrimas en los ojos, diciendo, gracias, porque eso no eran los cinco dólares, no era el agua, mm. era ese regalo de amor y solidaridad y de este viejito que se había aventado esa carrerita en honor y en amor a la familia, que eso es lo que uno hubiera hecho si se hubiera encontrado un familiar. Y ahí fue y nos bendijo, con no con el dinero ni con la intención, sino con su corazón y con sus lágrimas. Y dije, gracias, jefe, por por regar, no darnos agua, pues, sino por darnos esa agua del Espíritu y regar nuestros corazones con tanto amor. Eh, esa esa corrida ha sido de las más lindas que he sentido en mi vida. Gracias, jefe. ¿no? Hmm. Ya se fue. ¿no? Un viejito de setenta y tantos años, ¿no? Mexicano. Hey. Así que, pues, pues ahí está, hermano, ¿no? Que es parte de... Y como esas historias hay también, hay un montón, ¿no? Que tengo por ahí, pero pues esa es parte, ¿no? De cómo usar ese eh, privilegio para poder 
amplificar nuestra riqueza espiritual y cultural. Eso. Ándale. Gracias por esas palabras, hermano. Eh, pero mira, tu, tu testimonio es pues muy importante para mí y para muchos de los que están you know, escuchando porque nos da pues una, una real y una you know, a, a current you know, per perspectiva de lo que está pasando. You know, like, y eso, y eso de, de hacer ese, ese viaje es algo que pues no cualquier persona lo, lo, lo puede hacer o lo quiere hacer. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, so, primeramente, you know, te, solo te quiero decir que es muy importante tu, tu testimonio. Dime, por favor, ¿qué es lo que viste adentro de la, de, de la Detention Center, ahí en um, donde te acabaron? ¿Cómo, oh, ¿cómo, está, cómo ah, estaban nuestros hermanos, hermanas ahí? Oh, wow, oh, wow. Um, bueno, para empezar, la primera hermana que era eh, oficial bravo, más mexicana que el mole, y le digo... Eh, hola hermana, oye, me dice, eh, I'm not your sister, ¿no? <risa> ah, no soy hermana, bueno, pero pero eres mi familia, no soy tu familia, ¿no? Fue la, así fue como me recibió el CBP, ¿no? La, la policía de la frontera, fue lo primerito, eso cuando estaba todavía con Ángela, Ángela lo vio ahí, como dijimos, wow, de todos los 95 días que la gente está feliz, ella definitivamente no iba por ahí, ¿no? Mm. Hubo un cambio inmediato en la parte energética mucho más deshumanizador, más frío, y aunque los muchos oficiales eran más amables al principio, se fue escalando la violencia emocional y espiritual y la deshumanización, ¿no? Me, poco a poco, ¿no? Primero, eh, pues, vieron que traían la mochila, eh, después me pusieron, ¿no?, esas, las esposas, luego me cortaron uh, las, las agujetas de los, de los zapatos, que, que era totalmente, es unos zapatos que llevaban unos, unos toshus, ¿no?, que era lo más cercano a estar caminando cerca de la tierra, que ni siquiera eran agujetas, era como un resortito, y no bueno, pues lo cortaron, ¿no? Ahí me cortaron el, el tirante del pantalón, y, y de nuevo sigo escalando más y más, no te dejaron hacer llamada. Había personas ahí que llevaban ya 17 días detenidos sin que sus familiares o nadie supiera qué había sido de ellos. Imagínate que después de semanas, si no meses de estar caminando y migrando con el corazón en, en, la, en el alma, en la punta de la lengua, no sabiendo qué pasa a sus familiares, que no los dejen hablar, eso es algo pues que va en contra de, de ley internacional y nada, ¿no? Están, estamos ahí como secuestrados, pues. Y a pesar de todo eso, un gran amor y solidaridad entre los detenidos que estábamos ahí. Yo estaba ahí con mis cinco hermanos y, y contando historias. Hubo un momento en donde 10 de los 15 que estábamos ahí, estábamos meditando. La gente quería calmar su mente y estar en paz. Y decíamos, es que a, aunque estemos aquí encerrados, podemos tener a veces mucho más paz que había un oficial por ahí que estaba eh, muy con mucha falta de respeto, ¿no? Cómo gritaba la gente. Y uno de ellos decía, tú te tienes que cambiar ese apellido latino porque no no estás conectado con tu raíz. no Así les contestó gente de ¿no? los que estábamos detenidos ahí. Uno de ellos se enojó. Y le dijo al oficial ¿no? que tenía que, que quitarse ese apellido porque no reconocí. Dice, yo, es que yo soy americano. Y dice, tú no eres americano porque América es un continente para empezar, no es un país, ¿no? Ajá. Así le contestaba. Y, y bueno, entonces empezamos a hablar, a, a pesar de todo eso, eh, la gente, ¿no? Uno de ellos era diabético, entonces, pues queríamos que le dieran sus medicinas y las daban. Entonces él traía a veces más de estas gomitas, nos regalaba a, ¿no? a veces a nosotros, pero como compartir, ¿no? Y yo que soy no vegano, vegetariano, pues ellos me, me daban más eh, frutas y verduras, cuando a mí de repente me dan un sándwich ahí, yo eh, con jamón yo se lo regalaba a ellos, y, y el caso es que una, una colaboración bonita, y pues se siente también ahí la parte 
pues del sufrimiento, ¿no? de que la gente quiere estar con sus familias y que nada más vienen a trabajar, la gran mayoría de, de ellos. ¿no? Y bueno, pues vi niños y, y niñas con ellos, no pudimos tener mucho eh, mucho contacto, una parte en donde sí al principio, ¿no? porque los algunos de los niños iban a ver a sus papás que estaban de nuestro lado, entonces eh, yo pude ahí eh, platicar un poquito con ellos, pero de ahí en fuera estábamos muy segregados. ¿no? Y, y de nuevo es una actitud más, mucho más... Eh, prepotente y no se pueden dar abasto. Si eh, eso hice yo y hubiera mucho más personas, decenas, que de repente hiciéramos eso de ambos lados de la frontera, no se pueden dar abasto. Que, que hubiera más ciudadanos y ciudadanas del mundo desobedeciendo con gran amor, no hay manera que se puedan dar abasto. Están a tope. ¿Qué es a, Hacen qué, las cosas que hacen, ¿no? Perdón, ¿qué es abasto? Abasto que estén eh, llenísimos, que no tienen más espacio. Ahí la, la parte de esta migra de la, de la policía fronteriza... Eh, tienen no no tienen más espacio, por eso estábamos ahí. Hubo un momento en que si llegaba una persona más, esa persona tenía que haber estado dormida de pie, porque ya no había espacio en ese lugar donde estábamos. Oh my god. Sí. No, y, y de nuevo, ¿no? Cuando te bañas ahí te ah, porque esa es la otra, no es un um, it's like a, a wet torture that they try to do in with all the detainees that are under fluorescent light by high fluorescent light for 24/7 and even though it's it's clean I I have to say that that at least the 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 cell was clean but then they opened the door and asked for people that they are not there and what when people might be resting and and they they let you to have a shower uh every every other day but they wake you up at 1 a.m. to have that shower and then they give you this one paper towel to To, you know, to dry yourself, and paper towel, um, mm -hmm. and and the food, you know, many people were uh, saying, like, well, we're getting food here, but then after being here for almost two weeks eating these burritos and this sandwich, like, my body, like, their people were constipated, and they were really having issues with their bellies and things like that, so, you know, at least they have something there to, to eat, but there's definitely something that is not um, um, healthy for sure. And uh, and the part again, you know, that they don't let you uh, make phone calls. I uh, I think that it will be it will collapse the system in a way because I don't think they have the capacity to let to have that flow of calls. And then, of course, if they let people know what's happening inside, then lawyers and families are going to be like swarming the 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 telephone there to see how their loved ones. And that's why part I I I believe that's why they they don't. They don't do that. And they have those practices, and I don't know how this could be broken and being disobeyed. But um, this is part of the X-ray, you know, seeing inside uh, of of this this place there in in Chaparral, I think it's called, in, in San Isidro. Well, thank you very much for for helping to 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 raise awareness about about this, and to, for saying también que y si más gente were to you know disobey that. They don't have any more space, so they, they, it seems that the system would be, you know, like uh, broken. We do need absolutely more people to stop being bystanders and to take some sort of active role, you know? Like, uh, why is it important to put aside our daily comforts for the well-being of others? We all need to listen to that call and that purpose of and meaning of our lives. And whenever the time is ripe... Than to to offer that because we know that 
you cannot serve and you cannot love other people if you don't love yourself and 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 you don't know what to what capacity. I know some very sweet people that wanted to walk with me and and I knew that I I been preparing my whole life for for this walk, if not lifetimes. You know, it's, it's, it was really clear to me. So. I had this surplus of energy and, and joy that I was just sharing and receiving and then being in that mode all the time. But then people that were very sweet and wanted to walk with me the, a couple of days, say, or even it was a, a brother, a, a young brother, you know, that walked three days with us. And um, he had to stop because he was full. His his ankles and feet were totally swollen and blisters and stuff. And he's a young person, you know, but... So we need to recognize also, you know, what is our calling? Because uh, it would be also responsible for me to say, you know, yeah, just, everybody just go there and, and risk whatever you need to do. But I would say the more that we just only think in ourselves is going to be more more difficult to reach this place where you can feel connected with with all that is and with with all life. And and one thing is just to listen this kind of conversations. And another very different is to actually feel it. And so what I would say is like, yeah, like start doing even small acts of kindness and small acts of fearlessness and 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 generosity. And and then for sure the the ecosystem and people around you is going to be of huge influence. That I there's no way that I could have done what I did without the support of so many people in so many levels from the spiritual, cultural, financial. And you know, real support that people, you know, from the shoes and and the backpack that people give me, and water and all the prayer and blessings, all that stuff it was there, very real. So I would say, like, let's get more and more connected with our local ecosystems and our watersheds and the way that non-human animals might be in our bioregion, and also with with people that resonate our at our service and heart level and try to to start practicing those bridges even with people that might have a very different point of view and so that's where the part of leaving the comfort zone comes to not only from the physical stand of view but also the ideological one as well i think it's a, a half answer it's not even an answer it's just like an, a hint in the horizon just to walk towards where the sun is setting but each, you know, in in each latitude of the earth, the, the sun is setting in different ways, you know. So we need to find which one is that call, and then follow it with all your your heart and passion, and and, and no doubt, and surrender to the unknown too. Like many times, no one teaches us to be okay with the unknown because we are applauded all the time that the right answer. You need to know the answer, and and this is the the way to go when. Life is not like that. Many times you are swimming in the unknown, and that's, and that's okay. And it's okay also to have um, a direction, but it's, but it's not always as we want it. And be comfortable, more circular, and not linear, linear thinking. So this whole thing, I say we need to align the head, the heart, and the hands. So how do we walk the walk? That's part of the hand. So I say, like, okay, like get that heart and that mind aligned, and then trust that by walking you will create the, the path. Órale. 
Hermano Pancho, ha sido mucho un placer pues hablar contigo y pues um, y escuchar que estás bien y pues uh, y que, que vas a seguir adelante pues con, con, con la misión y pues con haciendo las diferentes conexiones que se debe hacer en el corazón y en la, en la, en la mente y en las manos y con toda la gente en el mundo. Mm, mm. Pues gracias a ti, hermano, por ser como la partera eh, ¿no? de, de esta de esta conversación porque hubo ¿no? cosas que sentí que de repente salieron que no había dicho nunca antes y es importante no tener siempre un espacio de reflexión para ver cómo seguimos ajustándonos para tener medios que sean más adecuados a de nuevo no hasta no, a nuestra col, a liberación colectiva así que te agradezco un montón este estamos en contacto y, y pues gracias bendiciones y amor a todos y muchas bendiciones hermanito eso finding out what we're passionate about and following it with all our hearts. Taking those first steps with small acts of kindness and fearlessness. Helping to strengthen us along the path which no one can walk for us. Orale. For more information, you can visit earthfamilia.org. This is David de la Gran for La Raza Chronicles. Eso.
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kusnid, and it's a special time of year. We are close to the beginning, the launch of the San Francisco Latino Film Festival. I have here in the studios with me Lucho Ramirez, who's the director of the festival and has been holding down for many years now. And we have him on to talk about these wonderful films because they're truly an opportunity to see films and see depictions of our communities in ways that we otherwise wouldn't. So thank you so much, Lucho, for coming into the studio. Thank you so much for having me on your program once again. And uh, as Julieta mentioned, uh, the festival is opening shortly in a couple of weeks out. We will be opening with uh, Yuli, which is a biopic about Carlos Acosta, an acclaimed ballet dancer from Cuba, who was the first black uh, principal dancer with the London Ballet. And it's a film directed by Isiar Bolain, who's um, uh, an incredible uh, Spanish filmmaker that tends to have a soft spot for social justice sorts of issues in her films. And so we're really, really happy about opening with a, a really beautiful film that touches on a variety of issues and topics that the festival celebrates. So I'm, I'm really happy that uh, we have this film and along with uh, nearly 80 other films between the short films and the feature length films that we've programmed for this year. So Lucho, why don't you talk to us a little bit about some of the things that stood out to you because every year it's a tough job you have you get to see all these incredible films like you said they're shorts they're documentaries they're features they're all kinds of films telling all kinds of stories so every year you somehow a theme just occurs and you notice some things that stand out so if you were to look at this year's programming what are some things that for you you find are maybe a little different from other years right Yes, from our call for entries, we received over 400 films uh, submitted, and it's really, really challenging to pare it down. So we do our best to bring in a program that offers a diversity of voices and images, both uh, U.S., Latino, Latinx uh, filmmakers, as well as those from Latin America. But yeah, I think last year was definitely one of those years where there were a lot of films that came in with an immigration theme. And I can say that again, that's happening. Though I think with how the program has come together, we see that there's definitely more U.S.-made films that broach on a variety of topics that are not necessarily zeroing in on immigration issues, though there are definitely some creative expressions there. And then the other angle is I don't want to touted too loudly, but uh, almost like the year of the woman in the sense that we've had so many films by women filmmakers that it's it's hard to ignore that there's a pretty consistent uh, presence of, uh, of women filmmakers that have been submitting their films to our festival. So I'm really, really excited about that. And, and in a way, I would say it in general, our, our audience uh, seems to be drawn to the films that we've selected for this year, and we're hoping the films resonate. I'm speaking to Lucho Ramirez. We're talking about the SF Latino Film Festival. So you've talked about some of the themes. Something that's really exciting about your festivals, often people will hear about the international film festivals or even festivals that perhaps have some orientation towards the global south or Latin America, but it is rare for for festivals to highlight Latino producers, directors, stories from the United States, as well as Latin America. So tell us a little bit about your thinking behind that. Why is that so important for you? 
I think it's important to have films, of course, that, you know, we shouldn't think that our identity ends at the border. In some ways, I've always uh, said that Latin America starts with the United States. I think there's significant population here that we share a lot of our cultural and historical heritage, whether it's uh, an immediate family thing or a distant one, but our connection to Latin America cannot be ignored. And so with that, I think with what's going on in the political climate and that that its uh, sense of having an identity of otherness, meaning not from here, uh, that's something that really has uh, been a little bit difficult to navigate because at the same time as a festival, we're celebrating an otherness in a good way, but the political climate is to uh, demonize the otherness. And so I like the fact that we have so many creative people, filmmakers that are from the United States, born or immigrants, with a, with a stake in, in succeeding in, in, this, in this country, in the United States. And, and they truly do consider themselves uh, American filmmakers. And so with that, that just means that their perspectives, their stories, and of course, the people that you see on screen, and to a large extent, the production, are by creatives that happen to be Latino. So I think it's fantastic that we have this uh, sometimes bilingual or at the very least a bicultural identity where we celebrate the otherness and encourage it. So why don't you walk us through some of these stories? I think that what's so exciting about the festival is it is such a unique group of features and, and of films and documentaries. So walk us through some of the things that people can get a chance to see. Okay, so there's a lot here, but there's about uh, 30 feature-length programs that we have between documentaries and narrative features. I mentioned Yuli already, but we have some local films that I think uh, will resonate. We have a film called Collisions, uh, which is a local production that has an immigration theme. And that's a, a wonderful film, and we've had a, a film by this director in the past. That's one. There's one that's kind of funny, and it's a drama, and it has an LGBT theme, and that one's called, get this, uh, Bathroom Stalls and Parking Lots. And it's a uh, kind of a risque LGBT-themed film that was made in San Francisco by uh, Brazilian-American filmmakers that are based here and in Los Angeles. And it's a comedy that really just doesn't uh, hold back on what it is to be young and single, dating, uh, sex, all of that, and in in San Francisco, and it and I think uh, viewers will enjoy uh, that aspect of the film as well as just uh, familiar sights. I encourage people to come and see that one: bathroom stalls and parking lots. And then there's another local film called "Bring Me an Avocado" by uh, Maria Meaya, and she's a local filmmaker, and she takes uh, a theme that's a little bit on the heavier side, but not that heavy. And it's, uh, it's a drama about relationships and um, 
it's set in San Francisco, and it's a it's more of a bicultural sort of a, a film where there happen to be Latino characters, but it's a multicultural cast, and um, it's 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 a fantastic uh, local production, and we're really excited to have it. And I, I believe for all of these films, these are all uh, San Francisco premieres, so we're really excited about bringing these films for the first time. So these films are often only shown in your festival, which is why I think that people get really excited once the schedule comes out. So tell us about the kind of venues where you'll be showing these films, because you often also bring in the directors, which allows for kind of a community building opportunity where people get to know not just the people who made the films, but perhaps they check in and get to chat with some of the people in the audience as well and get to know some people that live in their area that also care about similar issues. Yeah, we're really excited this year. We uh, anticipate having a good number of filmmakers attend. We, by design, are including a, a sort of a filmmaker events while they're here so that there are opportunities for visiting and local filmmakers to interact, so creating a forum for that. So we're really excited about that aspect. But in general, we have some local filmmakers, especially on the shorts front. We have some visiting filmmakers that are here from you know, Mexico, Colombia, Spain, that I know of at this point. Sometimes filmmakers just happen to attend unannounced, so that um, that's exciting, and, uh, and, and they're great opportunities for a very small film community to get together and interact with each other and with audiences. And so we're excited about that. Another form that within the festival that we're creating is a section on environmental films, and that one includes both local and, and visiting filmmakers. And the idea there is the overlay of uh, Latino communities and, and the environment. So there's a little bit of social justice. There's a little bit of things like clean air, clean water, that sort of thing. And so we're excited about that. One of the features in that one is a feature documentary that really kind of plays out like a thriller called uh, Sea of Shadows, which is a film about trying to save uh, a small a sea a mammal called a vaquita, almost like a little cow. And it's, it's hunted down, sadly, by poachers from international markets. So you have demand in China for this little mammal, and then you have drug dealers trying to sell it, and then you have law enforcement trying to catch them all. So the film is really pretty amazing. And uh, and so it takes place in uh, the Sea of Cortez in Baja, California. So it's very close to home, and it's one of those things that, you know, we, we I think that it's important to, just as we're talking about social justice, to still talk about environment and, and how that impacts one impacts the other. So we're, we're excited about that. And so, yeah, uh, we're going to be at a variety of venues, including the Roxy Theater, which is our anchor, and uh, that's where we'll be having our opening. And that's in San Francisco. And we'll have some additional screenings at uh, the Alamo Draft House, the Mission Cultural Center, Eastside Arts Alliance, or Eastside Cultural Center in Oakland, as well as Casa de Cultura, or the Brazilian Cultural Center in Berkeley. And so uh, we'll probably end up with some additional screening. So it's a matter of checking our website at sflatinofilmfestival.org to see what the full lineup of programs are, including some free screenings. So Lucho, how many years have you been doing the festival? And why don't you walk us through something that I've really always appreciated about the festival is that you do try to make it accessible. So you have these free screenings. You also create little packets so people can go to more than one film. So tell us about how that's worked out since you've been doing this for so long. Right. So 
this is our 11th season organizing the Cinema San Francisco Latino Film Festival. It's a labor of love for the most part. It's a volunteer group of people that come together to put the festival together. And um, we work with a lot of different organizations to, to, to bring this uh, to the community. And so some of our community partners, whether it's the San Francisco Public Library, Civic Center, or Eastside cultural center, uh, they afford us spaces where we're able to do some free screenings. But also the price points in general are rather affordable considering these are independent films that uh, it's a little more costly sometimes to uh, to put an event like this together. So we have ticket passes, whether it's a five-ticket pass, a ten-ticket pass for couples, or a film festival pass where you're able to watch films at any space uh, that's ticketed and it includes a couple of parties. So it's all fairly affordable, and, uh, and there's also some free screenings that are available. Your film festival, the, the Cinemas SF Latino Film Festival, what's so special about it is that it's not just feature-length films. It, you include, along with features and story-based films, you also include documentaries, and you include shorts. And you have a pretty large shorts program this year. It's really exciting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we have increased the number of short films because in some ways it really provides additional opportunities for emerging filmmakers to to be seen, to have a platform. So we, we've increased it to uh, 12 shorts programs, but a couple of those shorts programs are really what we kind of call not so short and not, not so long and not so short, just something cute with some sort of thematic uh, umbrella to to include those films. But yes, uh, we have, I believe at this point, it's like, it was a, a total of 60 films that are going into that shorts program. And uh, they all are encapsulated under a particular theme, whether it's a documentary shorts around the arts, whether it's music or visual arts, or other topics like the issue of love and relationships in the full kaleidoscope of them. So, or films maybe around uh, dramas or thrillers or horror. Uh, what we picked up on from last year was that there is um, a desire to see some of these films. They're almost like little bites of films that potentially can, can be feature-length films, and other times they're just really fantastic visually and storytelling that's done within a few minutes. And uh, we've been really fortunate to have some of the local and some of our visiting uh, short filmmakers come to the festival and have some interaction with the audience. So that's that's really exciting. But um, one of the other things I wanted to mention was uh, uh, one film that we're really excited about is uh, it, it's a documentary about Carlos Almaraz, and he was um, sort of a avant-garde Chicano artist. And I, and maybe I'm using the word avant-garde wrong, but it's more one of those breakthrough artists uh, that went from being known primarily as a Chicano artist from L.A. to one that really had uh, national acclaim. And this film, Carlos Almaraz playing with fires directed by his wife, along with uh, Richard Montoya being part of uh, the comic troupe culture clash. And so I think that people will be excited to, to know that he's associated with him because he was a contemporary of them, along with uh, Rene Yanez, which he's uh, very revered here in the Bay Area. So we're excited about that film because it's, it's I think it's important to highlight some of these uh, artists uh, the, that reached the summit of their careers and that it's important for festivals and 
like ours to bring him to the fore so that some of us, including myself, that weren't familiar with him, are becoming familiar with him and the rich body of work that they produced and that were able to go beyond how they were pigeonholed as creative people. So I'm really excited about that film. And of course, uh, the filmmakers will be in attendance for this screening. So Lucho, tell us, you have dedicated so much time and energy towards this festival. It's now, I think, in the 11th season. So why is this a good vehicle? I think it's really important for a festival like this that has as a goal uh, to entertain, to educate, and um, to get our community active, to see ourselves on screen. I think that for the most part, media doesn't do a good job. It's not just me that thinks that everyone knows that, that media does not do a, a good job in presenting images that are outside of a stereotype. Whether it's the news or mainstream films or TV, you know, we're pretty much absent. So our goal in presenting the festival is to say that there are a lot of creative works out there, short films, documentaries, narratives that are available for you to view and that we're bringing those films here so that we can form community and uh, see ourselves reflected on the screen. And it's a really sort of an affirming experience to to watch all of these works and know that that we do have a place in film as well. And it's important for us as a community to come out and support these filmmakers that are working really hard to break into an industry. I've been speaking with Lucho Ramirez. He is the founder and director of the Cinemas SF Latino Film Festival. He is here with us because the festival is premiering in just a couple weeks. So, Lucho, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Why don't you close out by telling our listeners again, how can they find out more about the festival? How can they read about these films, find out when and where they're playing, and also perhaps find out about when directors or different people are going to be at these screenings? Yes, uh, please visit our website at sflatinofilmfestival.org and uh, you can see the lineup of films. Uh, we'll have ticket information, details about the films, films that have filmmakers attending, all of that, uh, as well as uh, trailers and any sort of tidbits we get from filmmakers to help you know more about the films. Uh, as, a, as an organization, Cinema SF, we do have uh, film screenings that happen throughout the year, but this is our main event during the year where it's nine days of films, various locations, and uh, an opportunity to interact with other film goers as well as visiting filmmakers. So just visit sflatinofilmfestival.org, follow us in social media, join our email list, and you'll find out about things that are happening during the festival as well as other times during the year. Our dates this year are September 20th through the 29th. We'll be opening at the Roxy Theater on the 20th and going through the 29th, which is a Sunday. So uh, visit uh, our website, sflatinofilmfestival.org, to get further details, including ticketing. Muchísimas gracias, Lucho, por estar aquí con nosotros. Muchas gracias a ti. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. 
If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at Letters at Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Letters at Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.